You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So this morning, we are working through the book of Mark, and we get to uh, the Last Supper, right? And and something I love about Jesus as we go through the book, uh, we see that he loves to eat. There are many times that that he is eating with people, and and times that he's like, hey, we need to throw a party. Let's feed the 5,000 people here. Uh, There's times that he uh, seizes a meal as an avenue to connect with someone. And and as a person that loves to eat, this is my my kind of thing, right? And I, I love that part about Jesus. And, but as we get to this, there's many times, many stories in the book of Mark that I've thought, uh, you know, I feel like I could put myself in that situation. I feel like I, I've seen uh, someone hurting or I've been the one hurting and I've felt Jesus's presence and, and so forth. But, but this story that we get to here is one that, that I've never been able to put myself fully in because I've never had a meal with Jesus. Like, I would love to. Just imagine if we had a time machine and you could just go sit at any of those meals, whether it be the when he's feeding the 5,000 or when he and the disciples are just at a campfire roasting uh, fish over a campfire and he's feeding them. Or perhaps at this meal where it's the Passover meal and he comes and he feeds the disciples. I wish I knew what it was like to, to eat with Jesus. And so Mark is about to, to help us kind of dive into that scene as close as we could get to seeing what this is like. Jesus is about to have the Passover with his disciples, with, with the other people that are there in the room. We're in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26 today. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open it or your journals, or we'll have it up on the screen. But this is where we're going to dive into, where we're going to meet Jesus as he provides this meal for the disciples. Verse 12 says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? I love this aspect of the disciples. There's so many little parts that as we just stop, we just see the disciples. Part of being a disciple is learning from your rabbi. It is learning from the masters. When they stop to teach, you stop Drop everything and pay attention to every word. Part of being a disciple is wanting to be like that rabbi. Is when they, uh, the way they walk, you want to walk. When they eat, you want to eat. The way they wear their clothes is the way you wear your clothes. You want to be just like your rabbi. And then also being part of a disciple is you want to serve. You want to serve your rabbi. So they say, where do, we, where do you want us to go? We'll prepare it. We'll take care of everything. How can we serve you? And as we want to be disciples, we want to, we want to learn from Jesus and his word. We want to, <coughs> we want to imitate him and, and be like Christ. And we also want to serve him, to serve him in many different ways and to serve, to serve him in your own home. How do we serve Jesus? And so they ask, how can we, what do we need to do? And, and so he says this. So he sent two of his disciples. Uh, the book of Luke, chapter 22, tells us it was Peter and John. Uh, but Mark says he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him. This might not seem like very strange to, uh, to us, but this is a huge marker. See, the Jerusalem, as we've shared at Passover, is packed with a bunch of pilgrims. It's three times its normal size. It's bustling. There's people everywhere. 
And it's a busy place. And so they go to the well, and you would find many people getting water to take it to the shops, to take it to the homes, to take it wherever it's needed. But there'd be one common denominator about everyone getting water. They'd be women. In this culture, only women carried water. When I was in Africa, it was interesting. We, we would go to the well, and, and all the women would carry water in jugs on their head. And, and I tried filling a water jug, and, and I was going to carry it, and everyone stopped. And the, one of the ladies came and took it from me, and she told me, you cannot carry the water. In our custom, it would be insulting to all of us if you were carrying water. And I said, okay, and then I felt foolish because all these ladies are carrying these heavy things of water, and I'm just twiddling my thumbs, walking next to them. But I didn't want to insult their culture. This is the same thing. The only people getting water are women. So Jesus says, hey, here's your cue. Here's going to be your sign. There's going to be a man carrying water. That's the person you need to follow. And so they go, and so you can picture, uh, picture John and Peter getting ready to go into the city, and they're like, really, we're going to find a guy? We're going to find some guy carrying water? And sure enough, they go to the well, and there's one guy pulling up the water and filling his jug. And they look, and they don't see he's with anyone else. And sure enough, he takes his jug, and he begins to walk away. And so they follow him. It says, say to the owner of the house as he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Jesus has already prearranged that there would be a room, an upper room, a place to get away. Throughout scripture, we see that this idea of an upper room is this place that, that you get away. It's this place that you find rest. It's this place that we see Elijah stayed in an upper room in 1 Kings. And in 2 Kings, we see the Shumanite woman prepared an upper room for Elisha. As the disciples were fearful and not knowing what to do, we see in the beginning of Acts, they went to the upper room and, and they just waited there. We see that Paul was teaching in, the upper, in an upper room. This upper room was usually a room set apart. It didn't have the hustle and bustle of the street below, the, the traffic coming in and out of the house. This was a room set apart for a purpose. And for this time, at this season, this room had already been set apart for Jesus and his disciples to come for the Passover. So this is fully furnished. And, and what, did that, what would that look like? It would have been a table that would have been low to the ground. It would have been cushions on the ground. And, and everyone at the dinner would have sat and they would have leaned to their left because you would lean on your left arm and you eat with your right hand. And so you can picture, as we see, the only reason I share these details is so we can picture, if we can, that we're at this meal. And you see Jesus in the center and all the disciples leaning to their side. The person to the right would have been John, the youngest disciple. In a Passover, the youngest child is the one closest to the leader of the Passover. So you have the scene, and it says it's fully furnished. So it has the table and the cushions and, and the plates and the and cups, all that's needed. But it says, and it's ready. Seems kind of weird in our vernacular, fully furnished and ready. Uh, obviously, if it's furnished, it's ready. But ready meant that it was already prepared for Passover. At Passover, you had to do things to the room ahead of time to prepare it. You had to remove any leaven and remove any yeast that's ever been in there, sweep it out, make sure it's clean, make sure it's, it's holy, make sure it's, it's set apart. And so this room is already prepared for Jesus. And I love that Jesus knew that. That he says there's a room prepared for us already. 
Sounds pretty similar, right, to another scripture we know when he talks about heaven. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus has this prepared for us already in heaven. What an encouraging passage. When you see this story unfold that everything Jesus predicted was correct, and the the man carrying the water, some people think this might have been John Mark, is carrying the water to the house, to the home, where many people believe this is the mother of John Mark, the one that wrote this. This is her home. This became the center of the early church in Jerusalem. Jesus already knew this is prepared. We're ready. He has gone ahead and prepared heaven for you and me. He's ready. It says, so the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. We've been going through the final week of Jesus' life, and this is Thursday night of Passover week. This is a, a night of celebration. This, this meal, there's somber tones to it as they reflect on, on when God brought the people out of Egypt, but it's also a celebration. This is a time where family comes together. If you were a Jew, you loved Passover. Very similar in my mind that I think of Thanksgiving, right? That it's an t- opportunity for us to get together, and it all revolves around this meal. That there's special food. It's the only time of the year I eat turkey, but we have to have turkey, right? And, so you, and it's the only time of the year you eat stuffing and cranberries and and pumpkin pie all at the same time, but this is what we do. Same with Passover. The only time you would eat these certain things, but it was what you would do as tradition, and and the family's all together, and there's usually, I'm sure there's crazy uncle that everyone's like, what's he going to say this time? And sadly, in my family, I'm usually that crazy uncle, and so people are wondering, what's he going to do? And But there's always this crazy uncle at Passover. There's kids running around all over. There's probably some bickering of, of fighting from, past, from Passover's past, and there's just a celebration in the air. There's this time that we're all together as a family. And so they have this Passover, and, and Jesus is there as the patriarch of the disciples. And, and, and as we picture the scene, it's not just the disciples in the room. I assume it's been other followers that have been with him. There's servants that are giving the food. There's, there's men and women that have been following Jesus and are there with him. And so, but the focus is this table in the twelfth. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. This is the Passover meal. This is a a celebration. This is a time that we're all together. This is like our Thanksgiving, and we're laughing, and we're watching football, and it's it's a great time. And then all of a sudden, someone just lays down this bomb that one of you is gonna betray me. Jesus lays us out in the midst of the celebration. One of you here? One of you that have been traveling with me for years? One of you that I, I personally called and invited to be my disciple? One of you who I've washed your feet? One of you who I've told about the kingdom? One of you who've proclaimed I'm the Messiah? One of you that went and passed out the bread and the fish among the 5,000? One of you that I sent out in pairs 
and perform miracles in my name, one of you is going to betray me. It says that they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Each one of them is asking, Jesus, who, who are you talking about? And they're, they're hoping to find confirmation from Jesus. No, no, it's, it's not you. Don't worry. And at that point, they'd, be, they'd think, oh, I'm off the hook. Because they might be a little worried. I, I know I got full devotion, but Jesus knows everything. He knew about the guy carrying the water. Does he know something I don't know that I'm going to make a mistake? And so they say, surely it isn't me. And he goes on and explains. He says, it's one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written with him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. At this meal, they would have these sauces. And so they would dip the bread or the meat and they would pass the sauce around. And, and so one of you, one of you at this table who's dipped the bread with me, is going to betray me. What it's saying is, one of you that's intimately close, one of you that's at this table, one of you that's sharing the same dipping sauce that I am, it's going to turn your back. And you got to think, he shared this. And then he goes and, and he's sharing this bread and everyone's dipping. And what was that moment like when he comes to Judas? And Judas looks him in the eye and he looks Judas in the eye. And they both know. They both know what lies ahead. Neither one of them willing to say it. Perhaps I would think Judas would quickly look away, dip his bread, and, and not look back. And if I picture right, picture Jesus standing there, still looking at him with eyes of love, with eyes of acceptance with eyes of forgiveness for what Judas is about to do. And so he makes this prediction that someone is going to betray him. And as you look at these 12, Judas stands out. In Matthew, when we read, and when they're asking, surely it isn't I, all the disciples say, Lord, it isn't I, it isn't I, is it Lord? Lord, it isn't me. But Judas says, Rabbi, it isn't me, is it? He sees Jesus as his rabbi, as his teacher. The others see him as their Lord, their everything, their Messiah. And we see this picture. It's a beautiful picture because this is the picture of the church today. Of these 12 disciples that have been going everywhere with Jesus. These 12 disciples that everyone would say on the outside, those guys are Jesus' followers. In today's vernacular, those people are Christians. And yet some of the Christians... See, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, surely it is an I, my Savior, the one I give everything to, the person that I love, the, my Messiah. It's not me, is it? But then there's a Christian among the group that says, Rabbi. There's the one that has been with the disciples all the time, that's had the check mark of, I went to church and I, I did this good thing. I listened to this song on the radio and I, I didn't watch that movie. But does that make him a believer? Judas didn't have a, a relationship with Jesus. He had proximity with Jesus. For three years, he was close to Jesus. For three years, other people would see him as Jesus' follower. But there wasn't that connection. 
And I think it's true today with, with Christians, with perhaps some people in this room, that, that you've been walking with Jesus and, and you've been, others would say that that's a godly woman or a godly man. But do you just have proximity with Jesus? Or do we have a relationship with him? Judas was close to Jesus, physically. He did all the steps to look like he was a follower of Christ. But he didn't give his heart to Jesus. So Passover, what they're celebrating, is a reflection back to the book of Exodus when Moses and, and, and the people of Israel were slaves to the Egyptians. You might know this story, but if you don't, let me summarize it real fast. In Exodus chapters 7 through 11, Moses goes to the Pharaoh, to the leader of Egypt, and says, let my people go. Right? And, and he calls for the, the Israelites to be set free. And the Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm not giving up my free labor. And so Moses then brings on, uh, announces the plagues that God will bring upon the Egyptians. And so there's plague after plague after plague. And throughout this, the Pharaoh says, no, he will not release them. And so finally we get to the final plague in chapter 11. And this is the death of the firstborn. Moses says that the final plague will come and, and you need to release my, my people. And Pharaoh says no. And so this plague is the angel of death will come in and he will wipe out the firstborn in every home. But God sets it apart so that the people would see that, that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. That he tells the Israelites, here's what you must do. You will set aside a Passover lamb, an unblemished lamb, a lamb with no flaws, with no, no scars, with no signs, and you will set it aside for two weeks to make sure that this lamb is pure and clean. And then at the end of this time of, of vetting to make sure that this lamb is perfect, you will then slaughter the lamb, and with the blood of that lamb, put it on the doorpost and across the top. And that night, the angel of death came through all of Egypt, through the palace and through the slums where the Israelites lived. And as he approached each home, the homes that had the blood of the lamb protecting those inside, the angel passed over. And so this was the final plague, and at this plague, the, the Pharaoh says, you can let my people go. And in the midst of this, Moses has told all the Israelites what to do, to take the lamb's blood, put it on the doorstep, and then have your traveling clothes ready. Be dressed and ready to go because we're going to flee in the middle of the night. And when Pharaoh gives that order, the Israelites leave. And it's a beautiful story because it's neat to see that it doesn't matter who was inside that home. The blood protected them. It doesn't matter their mistakes. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter the baggage. It doesn't matter what they're carrying around with them. The blood of the lamb protected them. Same as with us. And so Jesus, the unblemished lamb, gave his blood for us on the cross. And because of that blood, it doesn't matter what we've done in the past. It doesn't matter the baggage we're carrying. It doesn't matter our guilt and shame. It doesn't matter. All of that is wiped clean. We are forgiven. And because of that, death is conquered. And we have eternal life in heaven with God. And so, there's, so this is what they're celebrating at, at the Passover, is this idea of the Passover lamb coming. 
And so Jesus is having this meal, and they eat the Passover lamb, a representation, a remembrance of when Moses has taken the people out of Israel, of this lamb, this, this perfect lamb that was sacrificed for the people. As 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Jesus was that lamb. As we fast forward to what Jeremiah calls the new covenant. That Jesus was inspected for three years. People trying to find flaws, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Herodians, trying to find mistakes, trying to find sin in them, and they could find none. And then Jesus dies on the cross, and his blood is poured out for us, for you and me, that we would be set free. So if we turn our eyes to Jesus and see this Passover lamb, died for us. And so they're at Passover dinner. And Jesus already made this claim that someone is about to betray him. And then he continues on. And it says, while they were eating, verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. This is my body. He took the bread and he gives it to each one of the disciples and says, take, be part of this. This is my body, broken for you. This is my body that will hang out a cross for you. This is my body that is going to take the, all the sins and the shame and, and the travesties that you have done and lay them on me on a cross. This is my body that will take the sins of all mankind for all of time. Your sins and my sins upon him on that cross. This is my body. Take it. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. For them, this would have been a, a crazy thought. This is the blood of the covenant, of this new covenant that they know Jeremiah has talked about a new covenant that would come where it would set everything right. And Jesus is saying, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. For the Jews, that means not just them, but for the Gentiles as well. This is a blood that's poured out for all of mankind. For you and for me, but also for mankind across the world, for mankind across time. For all man, his blood was poured out for them. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says, He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is why we have communion. Every week here at Discovery, we have communion. It's a weekly thing, and we do that because we want to remember this moment. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a moment, uh, we're about to have communion all together. And, and if the ushers, if you guys want to get that and, and start handing it out, we're going to grab communion. And, and when you get this, when you get the basket, just hold on to your little cup. And we're going to take it together at the end. But Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That you will proclaim. That we don't just do this in remembrance. We proclaim this message that we're saved. We proclaim as, as Braden is saved. 
as we each are saved, as we've accepted Jesus and, and as our Savior, as our Messiah, that we are saved and we are proclaiming that to everyone. Passage continues, verse 25 says, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I love that verse too. Because right, it's saying that, that he's not going to drink again until he'll drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. There's a promise with our communion time. This promise isn't just as we look back at what Jesus did on the cross, that he died and rose again as our communion is a reflection that we are forgiven, as our communion is a reflection that we are set free. Our, the communion is a reminder of what he did and what he conquered. But it's also a promise that one day we will have that meal with Jesus in heaven. As I said at the beginning, that's one thing I wish so much I could just go back and have one meal with Jesus. Just sit at a table and just hear him tell stories over a meal. To be in his presence. And this is what we're going to get to do. He'll drink it anew and we will drink it with him in the kingdom of God. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We don't know exactly what song that they sang, but we know it was probably one of the psalms, one, Psalm 115 and 118. This was the, the portion of the Hillel, which would close out the Passover meal. So we have the closing of this scene. As each of us has this communion, we're going to take a little longer communion meditation time today. As we think about this communion and what it represents, it represents the body. As he took the bread and, and passed it out and said, this is my body. As he took the drink and he said, this is my blood. That it reminds us of our sins, which have now been forgiven. That we could use this time to reflect on the resurrection, the victory, the empty tomb. That we look at that verse and have something to look forward to. To look back on what Jesus has already done, and to know we have eternity with him, to celebrate and drink anew in the kingdom of God. Let this time of communion be meaningful, powerful, between you and Jesus. I was trying to think if, there's, if there'd be anything that I could say this morning that, about communion that would impact our view of Jesus. And then it hit me. We just have, need to have time with Jesus. And let him speak to us in an impactful way. It's better than anything that I could sum up this morning. And so in summary of this passage, in summary of this message, let's listen to Jesus. We're gonna have about two minutes of just peace and quiet. I want to encourage you at any time during that, feel free to pull back the, the plastic and eat the bread. Pull back the foil and drink the juice. And listen to Jesus.